0: Welcome to My Life, Chesedah Supplied, episode 219. We are coming to the end of the day of Shivosar Bet Tammuz Nitche, the end of the 18th of Tammuz, due to the fact that the 17th of Tammuz was on Shabbos. So the fast day is postponed to Sunday. And we're now closing the last hours here in New York of this fast. So asked me earlier today, whether I would be doing a program tonight due to the fact that it's the fast day, I said, on the contrary, what do we learn from the Rebbe? That the Rebbe spoke divrek fushin, words of inspiration, words of Heseridus, uh, beginning in Lamet Ches, the year of the heart attack, the Rebbe added something into his repertoire, which was on Saravateva's on that year, he spoke actually twice the evening of a seravotavus and the day of a seravotavus called divrek fushit renewing the custom that was once done in communities the custom of speaking um, words of inspiration on this uh, solemn day on this day which is called Rotzen LaShem, hashem is rosh special opportunity a special day of uh, where you can where doors are open and the windows are open of opportunity even though it is a sad day but it is also a Yim es HaEis la LaHashem And it's our fasting And the other things that we do And the prayers And the other things we do On a fast day That actually opens up New channels of blessings <clears throat> Which we'll talk about in a moment And from then on In Tav Shalom At Ches In that year, 1978 um, the, the Rebbe began speaking Every of the fast days Of course, of course Not a Yom Kippur But uh, the other days The fast days And also not Tisha B'Av Except in Tav Shalom Aleph was the only time the Rebbe spoke on Above, the Rebbe would speak the Divrik Vush. So following the Rebbe's spirit, obviously, since my life is, is uh, scheduled for Sunday evenings, how could we not be having a program and talking about the significance of the day and other things that matter and are relevant to us. So here we have it. As we conclude this day, we are concluding with a, uh, what a, be- a better way to end a day like this. And teaching and learning some chassidus, uh, and applying it to our personal lives. So, what has the Rebbe said about Shavasar B'Tamas in general, and specifically this Kviyas, this schedule? So, there's the famous Sikhet of Shavasar B'Tamas. This was the same Kviyas, was on was Nun Aleph in 1991. And the Rebbe spoke on that Shabbos, he spoke about this. He spoke about the union of Nitra. So what do we find in the Gemara? The Gemara Megillah says regarding Tishabov. Now when Tishov falls out on Shabbos, you postpone it, because there are other things that are, for example, when it comes to Purim, you uh, proceed. You don't postpone it to Sunday, you move it to Thursday. I'm talking about Tiny Sesta and so on. The reading of the Megillah. Um but Tishabov, you push off to Sunday. So the Gemara talks about this and says that there was even a consideration to push it off entirely. And, and decided there the words of Rabbi Nachadash, Rabbi, who was uh, the author of the Mishnah and the compiler and author of the Mishnah, that that was considered and brought up the thought that when a Tishbev comes out on Shabbos, given the since it was pushed off already, postponed already, let it be postponed completely for that year. But Chachomim disagreed with him, and therefore Tisha we don't, we don't, we only postpone it, and we don't cancel it entirely. But the fact that there's such a hava minah in the Gemara, that there is such an opinion, means that there's value to it. What, what was the consideration? So the Rebbe explained that. Nun Aleph, this would be uh, it's, uh, the, exactly 27 years ago, that the, the whole idea of a fast is not an end in itself. I said before, it's a It's a yem rotzun Lashem. The reason that we, we fast, as the Rambam says, is because sad events happened, and it's cruel and insensitive not to pay attention to them and, and to do some introspection, look into our hearts and souls and what we can do to improve our lives and correct the causes that brought that destruction. In this case, we have the fasts around, we have a of B'Teve, but here we're talking about the 17th of Tamas and then the Tishabav. But the point of the whole fast is what? As the Rambam concludes in the laws of fasting, that, Yehov Chiyom the L'sosna L'simcha L'maydim that these days should be transformed to days of joy and, and delight and holidays. Why? Because the real inner purpose is no such thing as an end only being negative. It's meant for us to have introspection. So in order to do tshuva and return and do what we have to do to repair and build a better world and better lives. So the real inner kavana, the panemius really is, as the Rebbe cites when it comes to, the, to Rosh Chedeshav, that Yove Ariel becheder Shariel the veYachrih Ariel. He's talking there about that Ariel Nevuchadnezzar came and and the month of Ariel, the month of Arye, Leo, the sign, and destroyed Ariel the Beis Hamikdash. Almanas from the Alkach he brings. Almanas on Almanas means on condition that Yahweh Ariel that there will come the day that the Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi will be rebuilt in the month of Arye by Mashiach. So the whole purpose of the Yerideh is the descent is in order to bring ascent. The fact that we don't see it right now doesn't mean that's not the case. But that's the purpose. So then Shabbos comes and Shabbos is of course a day of tiny. That's why you don't fast. As the Rebbe always explains, when something is not happening on Shabbos, it's not because you push it away. It's because Shabbos replaces in a positive way that which would have been done regularly if it was not a Shabbos in a negative way. So when we don't say Tachon, on Shabbos the same amshachas, the same things we achieve through Tachman, are done through the positive beauty and pleasure of Shabbos. So Rabbi this consideration was well, since Shabbos already replaced Shabbos and Betamos, replaced it with a joyous experience, experience the same thing through joy. So it you should completely push it, postpone it and cancel it, because the idea has already been achieved, because that's ultimately the goal that at the end of the day. And when Moshiach comes, they will be tra- it will be transformed to a holiday. So this may be an indicator in a kriyas like this. What you see from this is that it's not just a technicality; it's another way of looking at even a negative day, even the sad day. Though we're beginning now the three weeks, which are traditionally the saddest time of the Jewish calendar, because between the seventeenth of Tammuz and Tisha B'av, well, that's why it's called Ben Tzorim, between the boundaries, between the, the dire straits, the Meitzah of Shiva the Tammuz, which was when the Vukhanetzer and then later the Romans. Surrounded and breached the surrounded and breached the the wall around the Yerushalayim the wall around the the wall around the wall that surrounded Yerushalayim. And three weeks later, the second Meitzar Beinamtsarim is Tishabov when they actually burned it down in both temples. There are different opinions about the breaching, as I discussed last week. But there is an opinion that that, that both of them is therefore it's Benam Beinamtsarim between these dire straits. Saddest time, we don't make weddings, all kinds of limitations in the things we do and the pleasures we do and other elements of our lives. But the kavon is amnas, as I just cited from the, from the Yalquot Shemini. There's a purpose in it. The purpose is not negative. There's, not, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And actually the deeper element is Yahafu. We're not just talking about chiyah, pushing up, but transforming. Transforming the days to be the greatest holidays because once you tap their energy... And their negative energy. And once that is spent and that is harnessed, it actually turns into be the biggest yomtiv will be tishabov. That's what it says in another medrash. What that means to us is that even when we're dealing with a negative, where we acknowledge and we're not in denial and we're facing uh, head-on something that may have been negative in our lives, we have to always remember that it's a stepping stone to something positive. And there's even a consideration that it should be postponed and canceled in a certain periods of time when you have like a Shabbos that comes and indicates on the positive element. But the conclusion is, no, it's not, it's not cancelled. It moves to Sunday and, uh, and uh, but nevertheless, what moves to Sunday does not mean that you didn't have a taste of that pleasure on Shabbos. The speaks this about this at length in that Shabbos HaBet Tammuz which was Shabbos Pasha Sebolok, like it was like this year, Tov Aleph. Uh, there's other times the Rebbe had Fabrengans on that day when Shabbos was a Shabbos of Bet-Thomas, There's a very famous Fabrengan, Tov Shekhov Dalad, 1964. Fabrengan went till very late. So late Fabrengan until 8 o'clock. The Rebbe said then to empty all the bottles of Mashka and said they continued drinking, took off the till you were able to drink. And many stories about that uh, particular a very deep Fabrengan. The Rebbe spoke very big chidushim in Chassidus. As a matter of fact, one of the most fundamental Sikhs. In Chelik Vav, Shmois, the second Sikh in Shmois, about the time Habriya, the, the reasons for creation, as you see there, is taken from the Sikh of Bolak, Shivas Shabbatam, and Tov But again, the emphasis being, Kate Samla Chesach, to put an end to the darkness, Kivendi Itche, Nitche Itche. That since it was postponed, let it be canceled already. That even though it's not the conclusion in Allah, but the bottom line, the consideration is also value and teaches us much about this deeper significance of a day like this. So as we come to the end of the Shavuos, this uh, Shavuos of this is the 18th of Tamuz, this is a tremendous lesson a tremendous opportunity that though we're coming to the end of the fast and we have done what we had to do in the so-called um, uh, depriving ourselves of the pleasures of meals and drink, and all the other limitations that Shivasa Bet imposes. Yeah, we have to always know Shivasar is Gematri teiv. Teiv is 17, Tezvav Beis, 9, 6, and 2 is 17. So really is teiv be'etzam, it's fundamentally something that's good. There are things that are good that we see in an open way, and there are things that we have to sometimes work on and go through a process to get through it, and then transform it into a greater good. Which explains also, as we'll talk about the nine days, the idea, the parallel sometimes, is the Gemara says the parallel between the nine, the mishnah Mishniknis of and besimcha to Meshem Mishniknis O'Demar besimcha. But we'll talk about that when that period comes. By then, hopefully, Mashiach will come and we'll already experience only the positive. But the lessons, the applied chassidus lessons are very clear. It's a general outlook on life, that when we see negative things, negative is always a deeper positive. Energy is energy, and even grief and loss and sadness is a deeper energy that's inverted. And when we do the right things and we respect it, and we allow to and we learn our lessons from it, and we allow it to help us grow, it catapults us into a completely different dimension. As we see, people who've gone through pain, through darkness, can reach the dimensions of light that are qualitatively of a completely different paradigm. And this you see in this Gemara. When you learn, when you understand it, you see the gemara, this consideration of Rabbein HaKadosh, all lies in that word. Since it was postponed, let's already cancel it. For the reasons, as I explained, because that's its true, the inner purpose is to cancel and postpone and transform it. Since we're talking about the beginning of the three weeks, so the lesson I've just discussed, the three weeks, that Rebbe says in another sikh, I believe it was the sikh, three weeks of Tavshinun could be. Beautiful sikha as well, and the same idea. You see how the Rebbe took the nine days and the three weeks and turned it as much as possible piyalocha and teira into days of using it as positive forces in learning teira, kind mitzvahs. Seeing by Doka, which the the, the 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 Novi says is the way we redeem Zion and Yerushalayim is through teira and through zdake, and especially through learning the laws of Hilchus beis in the Pesukim in Yecheskel about the third base Amidash, the measurements and the entire structure of what the base Amidash HaShlishi will look like in Mesecht Midis in the Gemara, and Halach, it's Beis Abkhira, of the Rambam, citing the famous Medrash. Well, now it's famous. That Yecheskel is talking to Hashem and they're talking about the destruction. Yecheskel says, what will I give the people once the temple is destroyed? So Hashem says, teach them, give them, here's the measurements of the third base Amidash. Let them learn that. And Cheskel says, what's the point of learning it if they can't do anything with it? So the Ebrister says, what do you think? If I took away the migdash, I'll never take away truly the base of migdash from them. I will never really take it away from them. Learning it will be considered even greater than building it. Like we find in different places. Kola esig ha'elo. When you learn about something, since teta is the blueprint for existence, so when you study the blueprint, you're essentially studying the blueprint of the creation of that existence. So, by studying it, that will actually bring on the actual building. Based on this and other midrashim that was emphasized and began, Tavshin Lamed Hei and Lamed Vav, and then it was in 1975 and 76, the study of these laws in this time period. So, though the laws apply still that it's a three week mourning period and all the sadness and so on, but which means, that the pekudiy Hashem, That the Hashem, the laws of Hashem, including the Torah of Hashem, give bring joy to the Yesharim, to the straight ones, to the to the righteous ones. So by learning Torah and doing mitzvahs in ways that are allowed, you actually reveal the inner depth and the inner power and the inner positivity of these this period in time. So all this emphasizing the transformation. It's interesting because before the Rebbe, you don't find. Previous rabbim or others really making such an emphasis. So you could say, because we're coming to the end of Gaulus, at the end of Gaulus, we start getting a glimpse and we're getting to the point where we'll be the transformation. You could say also the other side of things, as the world gets darker, that I came and brought even more light. But I believe also, on a very basic level, it was a message to all of us who could sometimes feel depressed or feel down due to some negative experiences. No. Do what you can in the negative in a permissible and acceptable way to transform it. And that will ultimately redeem the three weeks and turning them into something very powerful. The number speaks about why it's called three weeks. Three is chazoke. So you would seem to think, why would you emphasize chazoke? Chazoke means when you do something three times, it becomes something permanent. Why would you want to emphasize permanence in the three weeks when it's negative? And there again the answer is because the primi is the inner dimension of the three weeks is positive. And that's the Chizuk, the Chizuk that comes from the transformation, the Yehov Chiyom So the theme and the message is very clear. I will also want to do some cross-referencing to times I've spoken about this in the past, episode 74, 170, and 218. And as well, as since this is week of Parsha Pinchas, let's talk about that for a moment. There you also see a transformation. What was Pinchas? Pinchas was a relatively not known person. He was a man of peace, a quiet man. But then he saw a desecration happen. After Bilam could not curse the Jews in last week's passion, Balak, he, he saw that you know you cannot curse the Jews. He tells Balak, paraphrasing, we cannot do to them anything because God protects them. If you want to hurt them, have them hurt themselves. Make them vulnerable. And he is the one that came up with a plot to send the Midianite women to seduce the men in Israel. And that opened them up to being vulnerable. And indeed, Zimri, the story, with Zimri and uh, the the head of the shaved Shimon. and what happened was that Pinchas, when he saw Zimri defile and desecrate God's name in public, he killed him. Now, Zimri was, Pinchas was not a man of aggression. Of what blessing does he get? Brisi shalom, kain. Hashem says, "Because kano was kenesi, because you took up my cause. My, uh, you you avenged my honor." Because of that, you will get the blessing of peace. But his act seems to be not a peaceful one, because it is peace. Because Pinchas was not coming due to aggression. He was an aggressive person. He saw the desecration. And that he could not deal with, and he felt that was necessary to be done without even asking questions. There's only once you hear such a story. But what is the blessing? The blessing of peace. Not to ever think that this is acceptable behavior. Because what his intention was peace, but there he transformed a desecration that could have brought, who knows what kind of mageif, it brought plenty of problems, but it could have been worse, and Pinchas being mekada shemayim, sanctifying God's name, brought brisi Shalom, my covenant of peace that I give you. Again, a transformation, just like the transformation of the curses of Boloch, I'm sorry, of Bilam, commissioned by Balak, was transformed by transformed his intended curses to blessings, here too Pinchas ended up turning this thing, this negative into a positive. Again, the theme of the three weeks, as the Shalom says in general, but he speaks about the three weeks that the parshas that we read during the three weeks have a connection to the period in time when we read them, even though you can say the three weeks came later. But the Taylor, again, is a blueprint. The Taylor is an eternal blueprint that preceded existence. And therefore, the energy of these weeks is already hinted to in these parshas. Then there comes a point in history when the three weeks played themselves out, beginning, of course, the breaking of the tablets on the 17th of Tammuz, which too, which also turns into a positive under the circumstances after they sinned with the golden calf. Moshe breaks the tablets on, on the 17th of Tammuz, 3,330 years ago. And as Rashi says at the end of Chumash, Thank you for breaking them, because through that he preserved the Jewish people, as Rashi says in Pasha Kisisa, because he tore up the contract, the Ksuba, the marriage contract. Yes, the Jews who don't build up false gods, but they didn't sign it. In this case, they didn't receive the tablets. So by breaking the tablets, he actually left an opening to create peace that ultimately there would be peace and reconciliation when on Yom Kippur. So Shavuot HaTamuz begins the second march up on the mountain that after 40 days from Shavuot till Shavuot HaTamuz, now comes the next 40 days from Shavuot HaTamuz to Rish Chedesh which will not be successful. Then another 40 days from the first day of El through Yom Kippur, and then he comes down with the second tablets and receives varekha, forgiveness and reconciliation. So you see when you read the story how much more lies there and the reflection in our lives is very clear. We all have had times where we created a disappointment, a betrayal. We may have betrayed ourselves, we may have betrayed others, we may have betrayed our dreams. And there's the feeling that you feel that maybe damaged goods, too late for me comes the lessons that we've been talking about. The lessons both from the Itche, the Nitche, the postponement of Shavuot as well as the general lesson of the three weeks. And ultimately the goal is that the breaking should bring to some greater revelation. The breaking of the tablets led to Moshe's deep love for the Jewish people, which in turn evoked God's deep love, and yes, ultimately forgiveness, and we received a day like Yom Kippur, that there's hope, even after darkness. This is in essence the story that we're beginning now with the three weeks, leading into the nine days and then leading into the 15th of Av and the Elul and ultimately the Yom Narayim, the Shoshana, Yom Kippur as we'll talk about as we go along. So you've seen our calendar lies itself. Our calendar is a deeply psychological calendar that carries within it all, all aspects of a person's life. All, all, the, the, all the levels on the spectrum of life from the highest high points to the lowest low points, and all part of a larger narrative, a story that unfolds, that when you see it through, you see that even the downs ultimately lead to an up, to a great achievement and a great epiphanies and revelations, as we've been talking about. Okay. Let us now go to uh, make some announcements. Let's start with that. This program is a free program. A lot of work goes into it. Uh, Many, many questions. I just want to give you information. We're around three months behind in questions, um, but we're going to get to all of them. And please do not uh, feel that a question has been ignored. If it hasn't been answered yet, it will be answered in time. So um, uh, keep, keep, keep your ears open. If you want to know when a program will answer your questions, just email us with your email address so we can respond. It will stay confidential and anonymous. You can write whatever email address, but the place to write questions anonymously and any, any requests, including if you want to know when a program will be answering your question, go to MeaningfulLife.com MyLife and you'll find that form. You'll also find their archives of all previous 218 episodes, which are all time-stamped in YouTube, which you can find directly the, the, the topic you're looking for. Just search by topic, by keywords something that you may be interested in or you know what word or other words that may be connected then you'll be easily easily it will be easy to find also you have there all the essays that have been posted now this is the fourth year of essay of our essay contest tremendous essays that apply cidis to contemporary issues and finally perhaps the most important point is that we need your support these programs and all this work is done as a public service, but it is sponsored and made possible through your generosity. So please go to meaningfullife.com/sponsorship, and please sponsor a program, a series of programs, in honor of a loved one, in memory of a loved one. And we should only have simchis. This is a great way to honor people and, and of course, help us continue to do this, doing this work. And your, in the merit of your sponsorships, so many people will be helped. Spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, and all other ways that we apply chasidus to our personal lives. Okay. So now let us go. This week is also July 4th. July 4th, we know, is a secular holiday, Independence Day, the day when the United States of America declared its independence. So a question is asked, did the Rebbe say anything about July 4th? We know the Rebbe did speak about Thanksgiving, which is another holiday in America, Uh, July 4th. So I looked around. I don't recall a direct siche. I think there are a few letters that talks about independence and independence of this country. But I would like to have your help, please, and your partnership. If you can find anything that you see, whether it's a note from the Rebbe, a letter referring to the July 4th, or for that matter, a siche, or any other piece of information on this, please send it in to us. And I will surely... Um, address it next week as a follow-up. What I will share is something I recall very vividly it was the first few weeks I began writing Fabregas formally the year Tofshin Mem it would be 1980 the year when President Reagan became president. Interestingly corresponding to that the Rebbe began a series of a new level I would say a new dimension of speaking about this country Malchus al-Chesed but in general about um, the seven Noahide universal ethical laws in general generals started speaking much more on a global scale, which only accelerated through the 80s. So I remember this was right the Shabbos after Yud Shvat. That year was, of course, Shnas HaShleshim, the Rebbe's 30th year of leadership, which began Tov Yud. This is Tov Shemem, 19, 1950, 1980. So the Rebbe, the Fabrin was a very monumental Fabrin, and then I remember Yud Shvat. But often, as often would be, sometimes the Shabbos, Shabbos afterwards and the period afterwards sometimes was even more... Revolutionary than the actual day. This is not uncommon in the Rebbe's uh, approach. So that Shabbos, Pasha B'Shalach, was a medidik of HaBringen in general. And one of the things the Rebbe spoke about was the United States of America. And um, the Rebbe said the following. That's one of the first times, I believe, one of the first times, maybe the first time, the Rebbe spoke about what we have on our, on the currency, United American currency, both on coins and on, uh, on paper bills, on currency, the words, in God we trust, and e pluribus unum. E pluribus unum is from many one, ahdus, which was a central theme in those fabringens in that period. The Rebbe said the following. He said that there's a sefer called Urim V'tumim, sefer. It talks and asks a question that Rashi or Rambam or other great Torah scholars wrote their Chiburin. They wrote their uh, works, their magnum opuses, their, their, their monumental works. And today, when we study them, we're medayik. We uh, delve into every detail, their precision. And we learn all kinds of things from that. Were they aware of all these diyukim, all these different lessons or different um, nuances that we derive from their words? Were they aware of them consciously? So the Urim Vatum answers that miyad HaShem Hiskil, since they wrote it with Shamayim and completely dedicated to God. So God, in a sense, infused that they should write the right words. So they may not have been conscious directly of what they wrote and understood. They wrote what they wrote. But to say every dig that would be said from, on the, to the end of time, in their words, they were given a certain power that their words would carry the, that type of precision, divine precision, that we can then be midayik. And it's a famous gemara, that talks about Moshe Rabbeinu, that he was listening to the Gemara Teter being learned below. And here's Rabbi Akiva say, Yahchidosh, in the Gemara. He says to Hashem, he felt weak in a way, he felt down. He says, why did you give the Teter through me when you hear a person like this saying such Chidosh? Why? why not give the Teter through him? So Hashem says, listen, continue to listen. So someone asked Rabbi Akiva, Menohan and Milse, how did you learn this out? So he says, Allah I heard it from Mesha. I heard it, the name of Mesha. It came from Mesha. So it says, Mesha, calm down. The Reb explains once in the Sikh, I think Shmini Tavshin Chavhei, I think he said that what Mesha was about personal. No, because he saw the Hata Rebbe. He has a source, Rabbi Akiva. So so what's the Pshat? Pshat is that the Taita is God's Taita. Mesha, zikhru Taitis, Mesha Avdi, it's called Taitis Mesha because Mokiva Shemasa gave his life for it. Not because he's a personality, because he's a non-personality. He became a transparent, seamless channel of the tether. Moshe Kibul tether me sinai. The famous Deok. Moshe received the tether from sinai. He received it from God. Sinai was the, a, a mountain, but it was a humble mountain. It was the lowest of mountains. Mochich Taraya. Moshe kibble he received the tether like a Sinai. Like he learned the best lesson from Sinai to be humble. Moshe ya'onov, he was the humblest. So he channeled the tether. Therefore, the Teder has a lot of it. Moshe consciously was aware of many things. But the, what he delivered could be Meduic, but a could reveal something that Moshe himself consciously did not hear. Or was not aware of. That's why we say, anything that a Talmud, a good Talmud, a devoted ta- student, innovates, is given to Moshe Messina. So the famous question is, what do you mean? Then it's not a Chiddush. The answer is, because the Meshach was given the klalim, the general principles. And the teta includes everything. kulabah. Turn its pages, turn its pages, and you'll find everything. That doesn't mean that everyone learning it sees everything. Even Meshach not necessarily sees it in a revealed way. The Talmud is mechadish, but it's mechadish, something that's inside the teta. The Taylor was already given to Meshach. Then Meshach hears it, and, he's, and he's, imp- he's impressed. says the same thing about the Rabbeinu Tam is brought to say about the Rebbeinah a similar idea so the idea that Turim V'tumim says elaborating a bit is that they were mechaven they wrote their pirush, Rashi, Rambam and so on and we could today be medaik even though if they hear the deer they would not necessarily been aware of it and now they hear it they say ah and it gives them nachas because they appreciate it they realize their pirush was talking mechaven but not because they were so smart but because they were so bottle, because they were so humble I elaborated a bit more than the Rebbe spoke then, Bishalah, but what's in the gate to July 4th, you may ask? So the Rebbe continued and said, if that's the case with Baal people who have free will, complete free will, definitely people without free will or without complete free will, the founding fathers of the United States of America, that God placed in them the idea, the concept of establishing this country and the concepts that are stated in the Declaration of Independence that all people are created equal and endowed with rights by God. God we trust, e pluribus unum. So even though they may not have used those words, but the principles were laid in, were set in motion and laid and put in place on July 4th in 1776. So the Rebbe gave a value that I don't believe I ever heard from the Rebbe before or after. But you understand now the Rebbe's look at the foundation of this country which would ultimately become a haven, as the Rebbe said many times, for Jews who were escaping their enemies, and ultimately for the Frisic Rebbe and the Rebbe, and become the center of Lubavitch Chabad, as it moved from Russia, Europe, to this to this part of the world, to this hemisphere. So you understand a whole different dimension. So July 4th, in that sense, has a certain power. And even though it's a non-Jewish holiday, so to speak, so it's not a holiday that's a part of the Jewish calendar, but it's a holiday that represents just like when the Rebbe speaks about the UN established in New York and the different Sikhs that Rebbe spoke about it, it indicates this day a certain breakthrough that you can even say the Sikh of Ayeshev Tovshanun when the Rebbe spoke about the change, that in the time of the Al Rebbe, he was concerned that if France won it would not be good for the Jews. And that's why he prayed that Alexander of the Tsar of Russia should win. Even though Bagashmi it would be difficult, oppressive. But Baruch there would be more intact, their integrity, integrity be, would be maintained. You could say the United States of America is a part of the revolution that the Rebbe says there that today we could come into the Western world because now it is built on the principles of God. Napoleon was complete individualism, self-made, I am God, the worship of the self. Whereas the United States is built on in God, we trust, e pluribus unum, that from the many one, diversity and unity, and the other principles that are based on, the, that are the foundations of the seven Nohide laws, the laws of, of ethics of Tzedek and Yesher, B'Roshim Rabbeinu. So July 4th has that message and lesson to us, the confirmation that even from Tachtenim, the Chatzikadra the lower hemisphere, which is emphasized as being the place where Matan Teter was not in Begili, that that too should come, from the bottom up, build and be transformed into a Mokam of teira, merkas of teira, center of where with the rabbim, from 1940 on until this very day maintained their center. So July 4th is connected to that, and of course much more can be said about it, and in relation to the Mqsidis applied, it's the idea that independence is not independence from God, it's independence that we're no independent of others. No one can enslave a human being. There's only one God, and we all serve that one God. And as a result, of the, a result of that, we are endowed with unalienable rights as the Declaration of Independence states. So it now became formalized and institutionalized in this country, principles that for thousands of years, Jews were teaching and learning from Sinai and all the way back from Avraham Avinu. You know. What kind of validation is that? Unbelievable. Validation, as I pointed out a number of times, two good books to read if you want more on this topic, on the Jewish influence on the on this on this republic, the United States. A book called On Two Wings by Michael Novak, and another book called The Hebrew Republic, and the name of the author uh, is right now um, slips my tongue. So, but there it discusses the the, the effect of Dafke Judaism and Teda on this country. So in the context of Chassidus, it's obvious that Chassidus is, does not need endorsement or validation. But yet, when you see the principles uh, that have always been taught in Tehra, when you see them being embraced by a country, a powerful country like this, a superpower, and from there being exported to so many other countries, and so many, and literally changing the world, what does it tell you? It tells you how the principles of Chassidus, of Tehra, the principles, the healthy approach of how God wants us to live our lives, is infiltrated and is affecting a critical mass, and setting the tone and setting the stage for Mashiach's coming when the entire world will be guided by these principles, as we said in Naftada today. That will be basically based field of the Kol today, that it will be a house of prayer for all nations. As the Rambam cites in the end of Hilchus Melachim. To a point where we'll be mala oris deyos Hashem a world filled with divine knowledge, as the waters cover the sea. What is divine knowledge? Chsiddes. Divine knowledge that teaches us the mysteries of our own beings, of our souls, the mysteries of the cosmos, the way to connect to God and to fulfill God's plan in this world. On a more personal level, what it teaches us is that despite all the challenges, like I spoke before about the three weeks, ultimately, despite all the oppression, a country like this was founded a few hundred years ago. And as a result, it has become a beacon. So what is that? a beacon of, of justice and virtue? And this doesn't mean it's a perfect country, but the principles are there. So it teaches us all that we all have the capacity to find that inner independence within ourselves, Independence that's based on the fact that we're created in the divine image and therefore we bow to nothing. nothing, man, No man and no man-made things. Okay. Let us go now to the next question. Completely different category. I, I will mention episode 169 regarding July 4th. I spoke there about independence, so there's more to speak, discuss in, in uh, episode 169. Here's the next question. Completely different category. Can we... Establish policy based on a hergish. Let's define first a hergish. A hergish means a feeling, a feeling, a gut feeling of what a should do. So it may not be something specifically stated or specifically guided, but you just have a khush a sense, like a gut instinct. Now, this question is coming following up my discussion last week in episode 218 about ziyah. It's chusha the title on the Rebbe. So I discussed the different arguments made on this topic and basically saying, yes, there's a, definitely a hergish that people have that they feel the Rebbe lives on. We're not talking about crazy stuff now. We're talking about the Rebbe living on Mazare Bachayim, Things that the Rebbe said about the Fridic Rebbe for sure applied to himself. Living on through his students, living on through his Teter and because, like he says in the Shishtaki yatir, because now he's not bound by a physical body since his life, a tzaddik's life, is not a life of flesh. But Chaim Soni, but a life of Rukhni is which is and amuna, love, awe and faith, that lives on, especially when his students and his disciples and his children perpetuate that legacy. Without going into all the discussions. On the other hand, the fact is that Rebbe did write the titles on the Frida Rebbe when he published things, and which is you could say the responsible thing to do because that's what you formally have to do in Halach. So the question came up. Okay, so you made a case for a hergish. But can we make policy based on a hergish? And of course, this broadens now much more than just giving titles and what to do. It's a broader question. We have many hergish. Now, the, both sides of the argument would be a hergish is a very powerful thing. So why should you not build policy on it? On the other hand, however, a hergish is a hergish for a reason. It's a feeling. This is what it says in Tere Shabik Sav, and there's Tere Shabal and then there's Minigisrol. So we have things that say in teta, written teta, the oral teta, there's customs. A hergish is not in those categories. So the answer has to unequivocally be, no, you cannot establish policy based on a hergish. First of all, by definition, a hergish is a personal feeling. My personal feeling. So how can I establish policy for somebody else based on my feeling? I may do certain things based on that feeling. I have to still, even that needs to be checked and a reality check and make sure that it's not just time avilda feeling. Because remember, feelings are very powerful when they're accurate. But when they're not accurate, you can become completely off, off course, of the reservation. So hergeshim, don't, you don't begin chesidus and terab, and hergeishim. First you know what it says. You know the interpretation. You know that there are things that are mitzvah to do. You know things that are forbidden to do. Then you have things rishus. Shus means it's neutral. You could use it this way, you could use it that way. Let's say you have a hergish, a hergish for a certain thing, it's not a mitzvah, it's not awesome. How do you know it's a right hergish? How do you know? How are you so sure? We're all subjective. Maybe it's due to some blind spot, maybe it's due to a distortion. That's why hergishim have to be checked. You have to have an objective person, a mashpiyah. And you ask the mashpia. I find a lot of people, very chesidishim people, they have very deep hergish. But their arrogance, God forbid, and their their self-righteousness is like, they really know. I know. They may not even say it because it's not so smart to say it. But how do you know? Maybe you make a mistake. And I speak to myself as well. I'm saying to all of us, how do you know? So that's even if you act on your own, to make a policy out of it. There, how could you make a policy based on your hergish? And it's very important to know this. I heard the Rebbe once say, I can't find the source for it, but I just remember it. Maybe someone listening can, can point out where the source for it is. He once said, Those that make for an oral interpretation of the Torah, written Torah, will ultimately make the written Torah oral interpretation. In other words, it's true that they all have authority. Say the written Torah has its authority. Oral Torah, alai sofrim. It says it should be precious to you more than divrei Torah. But don't think that means it's less more, more authority. It means because it was written by the rabbonim and by the chazal, and it's not written, there should be a chivus because it's coming from the you can say the interpretation of our rebbe's. But to say a rabbonim has more chumad than a daraisa Amini Yisrael, Terehu, has sometimes even more khvivus. But not to say that it has more legal authority. Emotionally, Amini Gisrol is much deeper than Tereh Shabbat. And Tereh is much deeper than Tereh Sav. The famous example that Rebbe gives, three levels of bitla, three levels of love. One is, the person who loves you, ask you to do something. So you do it even if it's inconvenient. Second, he doesn't ask you, he only hints, is. So you don't make believe like you didn't hear it. Even a hint alludes to it, you also do it. And the third is, you don't hear a directive, you don't hear a request, you don't even hear an alluding, uh, allusion to a request. And you anticipate, what would my beloved joy, And you do it on your own, without any expectation. The Rebbe said, the first is Teteh Shabik Hashem asked us to do things, he wrote it. The second is, lekemi, didlei, is about isa. Nothing in the Teteh Shabak is not hinted to, but it's hinted. You could say, I don't even know. I, I can't I, it's not so clear. And not have the same commitment. So that's even a deeper love because it means you're not even waiting for not only you'll do what was asked, but even things alluded to you're going to do. That's khviv. And then there's minigislow. Minigisl, it's not in the written Torah, it's not in the oral Torah. Eden throughout Golis, anticipated what would give God simch. And that's the deepest one by because it's coming completely from you. And the Dugma for that is. Simchis Tere Simchis Aragolim Pesach shvua Sensukis is Minad Arais besach Sheva is the Rabbono and it has that strength Simchis Tere doesn't say anywhere it's a hinted to here and there but it's not even Ademas. But Ventantzman Simchis Taylor. so that's a Hergish but that's Mitzad Hergish that's not Mitzad Chiyuv it's a very big difference policy is made by what it says in the Tere we have a constitution we have laws. We have Tere Shabbat, Tere Beperusha Nitna. Tere was given with his commentary. Yes, and so we have Minogisol that became part of the canon, meaning part of our doctrine. But someone should come make that from a Hergish, a Minogisol for others. And doctrine, where, where do you get the source of that? Even for yourself, as I said, you also need your checks and balances. So that's, I think, a critical thing to remember and always know. And I also refer you to episode 92, where I spoke about Sheher as well. So I hope that's enough, and let's go to the next question. As you see, these are questions that came up um, due to last week's week's program, but the next one is one that's been sitting in the inbox, and I finally get to it now. So here's the question. As converts, we feel isolated in our community and can't find a mashpiyah. What can and should we do? And here's the, 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 the written out, detailed question. Hello, Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Please, if you read this on your class, please withdraw my personal information and locations, which I am doing. Thank you for your commitment to spreading chassidus in the name of the Rebbe. I have enjoyed your podcast, YouTube classes, and your book. I am not sure if you have time for this, but I'm reaching out as I'm not sure who to turn to, and you say you will answer every question. A brief background on my journey. My wife, my six children, and myself converted last year. It has been a huge change for us leaving our small country town and moving to the city to be part of the Jewish community and the shul. The excitement and challenge of getting through the process seems to have waned. Now we are feeling more isolated than ever. The community we live in is not religious and more traditional. And we have taken on Chabad Minig, which seems to be more and more harder as time goes on as those around us seem to be more relaxed. Both my wife and I do not have mashbim. I've tried to find someone to connect with, but cannot find someone to confide in. The rabbi and Rebbitzin are too busy for us. It feels like we have converted and now are on our own. There are three other Chabadnik families here, including the rabbi and Rebbitzin. My questions, how do we find mashbim? I understand that for someone to be a mashbija, they should be someone that will hear you and guide you, someone that you can look up to and sets an example. Should we leave and move to a more religious community, or is it like this everywhere? Do they need to be someone who you see face-to-face? I'm not even sure what to expect from my sincerely. Okay, so my response, based on the information you've given me, and I always qualify this by saying I don't have all the information, there would definitely be a few questions I would ask to get more information before fully responding, but I'll just respond based on what I see here. Number one, why not move? If it's a community that just has a few people and you're converts, and I'm assuming, of course, that the conversion was done halachically and with the proper rabbis and proper guidance and direction, and you have a family to bring up, you basically your family alone outnumbers your community. Why not go into a strong community where you can have role models, where you could have support, where you could have community and social life? Why why be in a place like this? I'm not knocking the place. There may be good things, but based on the fact that you just converted last year, even though conversion comes after study and you made a serious commitment, and I commend you for that. But it's a life of growth. We continue to grow, and if you want to thrive, you need to be in a place where you could thrive. So I would, unless there's strong reason, which I don't see from this note, why don't you consider really moving to a bigger city and you can explore different options and figure out a place that can be good for your children as well as yourselves and for education purposes and growth and all that comes with it. That would also make it easier to find the mashpiyah because you'd be in a place where there's more opportunities, more people to reach out to. To force it here is going to be very difficult because you know, you're know you dealing with just a few individuals. They may have the time, may not have the time. In addition, a good community will also help you stand on your own feet because that's the real goal here. Even though we all depend on each other and need each other, but you don't want to be completely vulnerable, dependent on everybody else. You need a place where you can feel valued, feel respected, and have that dignity that's necessary in all forms to grow. Or else I'm sad, it's sad to say, but it could also start backfiring and you're getting really hurt and disappointed in the choices you've made, which I don't even want to mention, but I'm mentioning it because it's important to be be aware that there are consequences here that need to be preempted. And the first preempting, in my view, would be to move, to be very honest. That's my Incl- inclination when I read this unless I'm missing something and there's something that has not been said. Uh, come to learn as we mature, all of us mature, that when the honeymoon is over, so to speak, yes, we are ultimately on our own, but there are very good people out there. And if you don't find one rabbi or one rabbitson or one rabbi, there's another one. And never give up. I don't think it can be done long distance. I think what you need is a community support. So that's why, basing on that, I'm basing my response to you. And again, qualifying this based on what I'm reading, without ever meeting, without knowing the details. And for all I know, there's much here that I've, I am not aware of that, uh, that would have changed the entire conversation. Let's go to the next topic. Another question that's long overdue that came in a while back, and that is this. What can we say to parents who are hurt by their child telling them that a chassid fabringed with his class and said that not they, the parents, but the Rebbe is his true parent. And here's how the question was posed in detail. A respected Chabad individual, Fabreng with Bokhrim, how our true parents are the Rebbe and Rebetzin. A boy at this Fabrengen came home and sincerely told his parents that they are no longer his parents. They were deeply hurt. Can you shed some light on this? Yes, indeed I can. I don't know who this Mashpia was, or this, uh, what you call, uh, who did you call him? He respected Chabad individual. I was not there, so I'm not going to point a finger. But if indeed he said something like that, it was misunderstood. Yes, he carries responsibility for saying something that was not, let's call it, brilliant. Even though, I'll go back to what I discussed before about Chassidus Shehergish. We'll talk about that in a moment. But as we always know, communication is not about your intentions. It's about the intentions of the recipient. It's not that your intentions but how the recipient receives and takes it. This is a message, and lesson from the Rebbe time and time again. You can have all the good kavonis, but it's all about how the reader or the listener is going to take it. When you're speaking to boys in yeshiva, for that matter, girls who are impressionable and may not understand all the nuances, be very careful what is said, even if it's all the good intentions. And I'll explain in a moment what he probably meant because it could be taken out of context, and a child is simple, comes home and says, you're not my parent, the is my parents. And what do you need that for? And it could be very hurtful, and it could be something that will backfire, because the parents may not be necessary in that yeshiva. Maybe they send their child to this yeshiva, and then they're hearing these things. They may take the child out of the yeshiva. It could be to that extent. It could be damaged. Even if the parents are sensitive and have achsiddish feelings, they may not understand what was said and this, because the child didn't really take it the right way. Because thats the, I'm sure this mashbiya this mechabad individual, respected, did not intend that the son should go home and tell his parents that you're not my parents, the Rebbe and the Rebbe Sinar, and hurt them. I'm, com- I'm com- confident that this, that was intention. But Chacham, you have to be careful what they say because you never know how it's interpreted. Now what could, could he have meant? Well, we know by Chassidim, they know, some Chassidim say well, that they, they don't count their birthday as their birthday, they count the first time they saw the Rebbe as their birthday. But let's be honest. In or not the of when should you keep them? The Rebbe's us. You can keep them both, but I doubt that the Rebbe would say keep them only when you met the Rebbe first. Because the bottom line is, HaPi you were born a certain day, there's Dinim connected to it, Minogim connected to it, you have to get an Aliyah then, to ignore that Yema that is is because the Rebbe is, because you feel your real spiritual birth was because the Rebbe, and which has basis, I'll explain in a moment, is why? Why can't you have both? You want to emphasize the, that? Fine. But we have to remember, <laughs> now what's the asad of saying something like that, that the parents are the Rebbe and the Rebbe? It's a Maimah The postage in Bamidbar, it says, <speaking> in <the Bible> and it goes on to speak about Allah laws Allah says, some are not the children of Mesh they're the children of Adam. So Rashi brings some Medr, says, and from the Gemara, how could you call them children, tell this Mesh So it says, someone who teaches his friend's child, the Tera considers as if he gave birth to it. Teach your children, these are your students. Students are compared to children. Why? Because the teacher implants in them not just biological life, but spiritual life, godly life, tater life. So there's a value to that. But if someone's going to say that the Allah should not have COVID to Adan, they'll say Adan is not my father, only Moshe. First of all, the tater says, Allah Moshe ve Adan. There's a mitzvah kibbutah ve'aym. With the, with the chasid, if that's what he meant, I hope that's what he meant. He's saying that you should know that you have biological parents, your parents who love you, and you love them. But then there's a deeper thing, the Rebbe's connection to all of us. As a teacher, as a Rebbe. And that connection may be even deeper. V'arai, it says in Tera, that when it comes to kibar aim if your parents tell you to do something that says against what God says, you're not supposed to listen to them. Why? Because they have to also honor God. So it's not just your parents as an end in themselves. But, but, but this has to be presented as such in the right context. When it's the right context, the same thing can be said, not only not offending, but actually giving nachas. I remember times when the bochim, the, my class classmates and others, would go on shlichus, in yeshiva to other yeshivas. So I remember once, they were stood in Ganeidin at and very often the Rebbe would give them dollars or whatever it was. The Rebbe would give them Barucha. And the Rebbe once said to the parents, I thank for bringing the kinder b'zahel, Thank you for bringing your children to the air. And from here on, I take them on my shoulders. Those parents came out beaming. Not because they thought the Rebbe is replacing them, God forbid. The biggest nachas, that they brought up children that now can join the Rebbe's army. as the Rebbe's students, and the Rebbe would take them to another level altogether. It's like saying, I taught you everything I can, and now I'm taking you to the great teacher, the Rebbe. And he will take you to another level. Not a contradiction, but an enhancement of parenting. That's what Chassidish parents know. So it's vital to keep that message. At the same time, there's also a famous letter where the Rebbe says, it's a long story, but basically, a mother didn't want her children to go on shlichus, so the Rebbe writes to the mother, I never thought of a mother caring more about her own good than good of her children. What's greater for her children than shlichus of a Rebbe. And then the Rebbe continues, how could you? I thought to myself, how could you build an army if the soldier has to go ask his mother every morning before, to go, before going to fight? It's a letter in Tav and Teh in English Kedish. In Shemini Tav Shem Chai, the Rebbe also speaks about. kibbud is a big mitzvah. But when you have to go, call a and Mohammed Bezdavid David is another union. And, the, and the, that's not a contradiction to kibbud Daveim because the Rebbe would never ask you to do something that Hazra Shalom would be against our parents. But that's based on the explanations I've given here and everything in context. So what to tell those parents? I would explain this to them, that that was the Kavona. I would explain it also to the son. Because once you understand it, I think it can be resolved pretty easily. And for not, it can just get worse if you don't explain it. Okay. Let's go now to the Chassidist question of the week. Where are we? Let me make sure I covered everything. Yeah. It's a question in Tanya Padek Tezvov 15, chapter 15. If keeping the 613 mitzvahs is the recipe to make a B'tachtenim, a home for God in his lowest of worlds. You do it through a mitzvah. The mitzvahs that we do in this world. How is it that only a person who struggles is a evad alakim? Which is as he explains in chapter 15. That only a person, Avid means that he struggles, it can't be done by rote. He says there, someone that is mechanically, or by that's his rote or pattern or, or uh, routine, to learn a hundred times, review in the time of the Gemara. It was accustomed to study the same thing a hundred times, it's a big thing. thing. But since it was the custom, it's not called Evidelikim. Ev- 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 it's called Loyavadeh, as if he didn't serve. Why? Because Aveda comes from Ibud Eiris, from effort. And that one effort, that 101 time, that one time over the 100, has more Eichizdik, a qualitative power, than the 100 times. So the questioner is asking, Dilibat doesn't make this condition. They're doing a mitzvah. You do a physical mitzvah. It speaks in Perik Lamed Zion, and then later it's Lamed Ches, Akim Esfos of especially Eiseh mitzvah, mitzvahs, mitzvahs that you do in action. But even mitzvahs in speech or in thought, which all has connected to the physical world, that creates, takes a material world, an unrefined, coarse world, and turns it into a home for the divine. You don't find there the condition that has to be Yigir Veda. So the answer is a, a several fold here. First of all, the Altar Rebbe knows what he wrote in Perik Lamed Zayin, Lamed Ches, and Lamed Abadir Betachtainim. He already wrote Perik Tezvav earlier. So for, it, it doesn't contradict it. You can do a mitzvah, a mitzvah in action, and it becomes something by rote. So not, that doesn't say, it doesn't make any dirbetachtainim. But if you do it with uh, Yigiyah, and you try to do it with Aveda, it's a much deeper power, much more transformative. That's number one. In other words, you can do a mitzvah without kavano, or you can do a mitzvah mechanically, you can mitzvah by, by, by rote. So you have the didabat tachtainim being done, but it's not being done with the same power as avadil, avodai, evad, evadil, that it speaks about in Peretit as well. That's number one. Number two, even a mitzvah that you do mechanically, this is also an effort. It's very easy not to do mitzvahs. The mere fact that you're taking in the morning, you're putting tefillin on your arm, or you put it up on mezuzah, or you eat kosher. See, even if you're doing minimal effort to say there's no Yigiyah, no effort, and that Alter Rebbe Taki uses in Perek Lamed the expression, Aideh Masenu senu Ma'is is the that Rebbe brings. And Aveido senu, Aved is Yigiyah. So you see, every mitzvah you do is, is an element of mice and Aved. Now, however, if it's done with a full explanation, Perek Tezvah, then it has even more power. Because the more effort that goes into it, the more transformative it is, as, uh, which is obvious. That's the two key things I would answer in this question here. One more thing I'd add is when it says that the mitzvahs are a recipe to a A part of the reason for that is because they're, they're in the physical world you're doing God's will. Learning Tata, for example, in Gan Eden doesn't make a dider betachtenim because it's not in this world. Learning tether in this world does. So the real focus there is because you're working in this world. And as I just said, in every, every, this world, everything is a form of work. I may be repeating myself a bit, but I just wanted to add that little footnote as well. Okay, now let's go to the essays. Three essays this week, they're all in Hebrew. We had a big, big showing of Hebrew essays this year, more than usual, more than the past, and reflective in uh, the amounts of essays that came in. So we're going to go with, first essay is, let me just see here, okay. Tools for Dealing with the Temptations of the Internet, or in Hebrew, Translated. that so basically, Ergas Keim, like a tool chest to dealing with the temptations of the Internet by Malki Alperovich age 22, Israel, She's a moira, a teacher in Beis Mushka and Kiryat Shmuel. This essay um, is well, well done, well worth reading because we all face the challenges of the Internet today. And begins with an introduction, a very clear introduction that a while back, before technology burst open as it has now, if a person from, let's say, Bnei Brak wanted to go see a movie, there were several ways to do this. They had to find an excuse to leave the house that nobody should know where they're going. They had to find money to go to, with a bus and uh, find this uh, theater and buy a ticket for that. They had to stand outside and, and hide themselves that no one should see them. And after all the pleasure they got, they had to come back in a secret way, make sure with some excuse that nobody understood, catches where they went. Today, all that's gone. I only spelled it out because she spelled it out. It's all gone. Today, you have it right in your mobile phone. So it's more important than ever to find a solution. So Teda Saksida, she writes, teaches us the God who runs the world and created the world, created also technology, and definitely gave us the ability to counter and preempt these challenges. And goes on to lay it out in a few steps. The first thing is, the challenge that God places in our lives. There's a classic example brought in Tanya from Zayar, the challenge of a king who hires a son to tempt his son. And there's an intention to bring out the deeper strengths. So today we have to require the contemplation on that element. Second part she talks about, but why does it have to be so difficult? And the answer briefly is because God wanted us the best, to give us the best, to give us the best, we have to be challenged in the deepest way possible which brings out the best in a person. That's how we excel. And the third section is the solution. One of the solutions is how you say to the temptation, please, I'm busy with something else. I'll be back with you. And brings a bunch of answers from the Rebbe in that regard. In a very, I would say, elegant and structured way explains the process of dealing with this. And then actually put up a bunch of rules to hang up on your refrigerator as she suggested, With a whole bunch of lists of suggestions, which you can see this essay and all the others that I'm going to be doing and all the new ones posted at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. If you also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, you get very interesting new material that we post all the time. We also send out these new essays as they are posted. That's essay number one. And uh, I, I leave you looking up and seeing the different suggestions that are made to deal with this. Essay number two is freeing oneself from depression and the path to joy according to Chassidus. In Hebrew, Hei medikayon lesimcha al teres Menachem Feldman, age 32, Israel, Magid Shir in Yeshivas Lubavitch of Dinepur, Ukraine. The Nepropetrovsk, Ukraine. Okay. Another Hebrew essay. And this essay is, as the name implies, is dealing with the, the issue, one of the big issues that, face, that people face, society faces today, is depression. And the different secular approaches to it. But here goes the Hasidic approach. That looks at it in a very fundamentally different way. Not just how to free ourselves from it, but how to transform depression. To a positive force and motivational force that brings us joy and energy. Goes on to describe, first of all, the problem in detail. The chassidus from Perek Chavtes and how the Al-Taleb explains it in Perek Haftes and the whole approach to taking this. That even then, understanding it's one of the challenges given to weaken us, even when we can't, when we don't know, when we that, that doesn't help us to deal with the depression, to realize that the depressed state brings you to a and nefesh because it's a good time for introspection. And then with a very practical conclusion of a bunch of steps as well, as the essays was required to give you bullet points or steps, how to actually deal with this challenge. Well done as well. And finally, essay number three, A Physical Body Versus a Divine Soul. Kuv Gash Nishma Nishama Elakit this is by Menachem Mendel Vardy, age 16. Yerushalayim Israel, studying in Tumchet Mimim Beitar Ilit. It's a short essay, but basically, how to reconcile between these two great forces and how to live spiritual life throughout your life, throughout your physical life that we live through. Taking Tanya, classic Tanya in the first early Prokim, Nev Shal Kis, Shabbam is divine soul, animal soul. And I, I, I enjoyed how he it, even though there, I wouldn't say there's something radically fresh and new here, but it's definitely seen a 16-year-old applying that and, and bringing in the potatoes, using your body not to ignore your body or deprive it, but actually to transform it. And then comes into a practical way how this applies itself in life. And the different things that what will happen, the body gets strong, and the soul does not direct it. How a person loses self-confidence, a person becomes lazy, becomes confused and, and bitter and sad, the worries, parnasa worries, livelihood worries. Um, and then ultimately how to take care and transform yourself into a position where you can counter all those negative forces. Again, well done. Thank you so much. And with that, my friends, we will conclude this um, Shivose Batama's Nitche program, episode 219. As we conclude this, this day, may it be transformed into a holiday, into joy, revealing the inner meaning of it all, as I discussed at the beginning of the program. And that the three weeks, Beina Mitzadim, can be transformed into three weeks of simcha, with the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema. Every Sunday, we're here from 8 to 9 p.m. Please share this with your friends. As I said, you can access all the previous programs at Meaningfullife.com slash my life. And it's also timestamped that you can find the, su- the subject you're looking for. And please also be generous in helping sponsor a program or a series of programs. Thank you very much. And everyone have a blessed week. A a Week.